Hi, welcome to Jake's Podcast, where nothing makes sense, but you're listening and confused. Why are you here? Why am I here? Good night. <laughs> cheers. Oh, I've been drinking. <laughs> we already cheers. Get out. We cheers already. Did we really? Yes. Okay, and I'm, then I'm, I I'm already drunk. <laughs> Please, we're so hungry. We're hungry for more. body of those listening is the temple of the Holy Spirit and together we desire and agree that it is in good health. What do dating apps and national politics have to do with each other? Do you have dreams of uniballs? Don't know what a uniball is? Today's episode gets real and gets really effing weird as Jake Silver and I crackle and cackle about the many fun stereotypes and dangerously false assumptions related to his experiences as a thoughtful, hilarious, and gay Jewish stud living in occupied Palestine. This episode was recorded in the Palestinian city of Ramallah. Jake and I, Charlie Gray, discuss the sticky and sexy situations in this region. If it's helpful for your listening experience, you can find information on the State of Israel's ongoing takeover of and inflicted oppression over Palestine, including the illegal military occupation of Gaza, East Jerusalem, and the West Bank, on Body & Wine Podcast's page notes. Or stay tuned for Jake's briefing on the conflict and overview of land fragmentation during this episode. Don't think it's possible to discuss sex kinks, witches, and Zionism, believe it or not, here and now on Body and Wine. Woo! <laughs> oh wow, French rosé. Mm-hmm. Would you like a glass? Yes, please. There was a rosé that the wine shop had, but the only one they seemed to have was a brand that I couldn't guarantee wasn't in a settlement. So I was like, I'll just get the French. Cheers to buying ethically and yeah. supporting France. Because France has a really good reputation. France has done great things. Ugh. Do you already start this? Yes. Okay, do you doodle on. during this? No, but you can doodle if you want. This is just a beautiful pen. Beautiful emerald green color. Oh my god, and it rolls so smoothly. It's a uniball. Which, is that a gnome? When you hear the word uniball, do you ever think about someone's testicles that are fused inextricably into one yes. yes have you ever thought about that i've never heard of uniball because before, i've like, had <laughs> dreams where i use a uniball pen and then i have a uniball no and i'm very self-conscious and then i sleep with someone and then it ends up being fine and they're like it's cool because- you have a uniball and then they're like do you- i've had this multiple times like, do you own uniball did you come up with that the pen company because of your like, dick pen this happens in your dreams my dreams are crazy <gasps> oh my god I have crazy dreams. I want to do a podcast just on your dreams. You can. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so at any point, you can introduce the podcast. Hi, and welcome to Charlie's Beach Ball Bonanza, where we smuggle eggs from the West Bank onto a Tel Aviv beach, and we smash ourselves with them. Do you want to get smashed? Hi, welcome to Charlie's Fantasy, where every man has a uniball, which means their testicles are fused together, <laughs> and they can't use them. It's a feminist paradise. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Charlie's Podcast. Oh, yeah. Difference is the spice of life. Uh, so I'm sitting here with my friend, Jake Silver. Hi. Wiccan meeting. We got, like, the gray and the silver witch. And we wic- are witches now. <laughs> yes. Hi, welcome to the witches hour where there's a brew afoot. 
and it is in my mouth. <laughs> There's a lot of Nutella in there. <laughs> it's the bruised Nutella, and I am drowning. So I'm super excited to have you here in Ramola. Uh-huh. When we met, immediately I was like, I feel we've met in a past life, but I don't believe in past life, so I'm not really sure what that means, but whatever that means, I felt it. I'm a series of contradictions. You are, yes. I mean, I am, for that, sure. Yeah, That's why I have I a podcast. I mentioned in a past life, and I don't believe in them, and there we are. <laughs> and I'm an atheist who believes in God, so. I'm perfect. <laughs> so, this is going to be How that. long have we known each other? A month? Well, again, like, if you want to go past life, uh, I'm not so entirely like, sure. We're centenarian friends. <laughs> Millennia friends. Yes. I don't know, like, who is Jake? <laughs> Is this podcast politically affiliated? Am I allowed to? You can be whoever you want to be. I love that. From what I know, you're more... You see the beauty in people more than I do. <laughs> I don't see the beauty in a lot of people. Mm. Wow. I've gotten into a lot of arguments about it. I know which a lot of people are really surprised by. Do you mean in terms of Israel? Yeah. Mm. But also it does no good being like... When I be like, I hate Israelis, and someone says, Oh, well, not all Israelis are bad. That's yeah. not all police, not all... But it's the logic of not all white men, not yeah. all men. It's shitty. It's stupid. It does yeah. no good to just you know, individualized situation, because obviously a yeah. lot of Israelis are fine as yeah. human beings, but they're bad as an institutional and status project. Okay, so this is a nice segue then, because I think that that's an interesting statement if you want to go down that road, coming from someone who's Jewish saying that. There was about to be like, how much do you know about me? You know I'm Jewish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was like one of the stereotypes. Oh, okay. Gay Jewish. Gay Jew. But like, America. what's a stereotype about a gay Jew? I don't know a stereotype about a gay Jew, but I know stereotypes of gay men and of Jews. Ah. So just combine them. <laughs> and you get truly yeah. the and you're from Philly. <laughs> and I love soft pretzels and hoagies. And there you go. Do you really? And I say water. But I don't actually. My mom does. Oh. Fill it up and say water. Hey, let's get some water and mm. some hoagies and we can go to the Eagles game. But my car needs some gasoline first. Mm. And, but we'll go on Tuesday. My grandmother says Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Uh, there's some Canadians that say that too. <gasps> no way. Way. Oh, dope. You did not grow up super religious from the sounds of it. I did not. Okay. I was bar mitzvahed and I went to, actually, well, just as a preface, had bar mitzvah, went to Hebrew school my whole life through senior year of high school, got a teaching certificate in Reform Judaism, have taught Hebrew school for years, loved it, really enjoyed it, was living in Palestine for half the years that I was teaching Hebrew school. It was kind of weird when I would mention Palestine. It was really weird. This was in New York City in the synagogue. It created a weird, weird dynamic, but yeah. people were actually quite open-minded and I was feel like I was lucky because that's not always the case. But anyway, so... Not religious, but I would say probably more religious than most American Jews. Okay, cool. Thank you. Okay, so give me some context. Let's mm. talk about the menorah in the room. The menorah. Jews. Yes. The latka. The latka. That's me. My coming out story is just It was, it was just a unicorn. Where do we start? When did it all begin? <laughs> well, on July 24th, 1990, there was a little push. <laughs> And in fact, it was very painful, my mother told me, because my older brother was a C-section. Have you ever heard gay men make the joke about, um, like, the only vagina I ever touched was my mom's, and then there's guys who are like, oh, I'm a gold star gay because I was a C-section. I do not partake in these. This is, I hate these discussions. Wow. <laughs> but I was a natural birth, if that matters, and there's a photo of me with conehead, and I'm purple, and I'm very ugly. I was an ugly child. And, uh, that's how it all started. So this is me <laughs> as a one, and my first birthday. Like a penis on your head. Yes. I also, the joke has been made about you've been gay since you were one. Um, I have literal, Unicorn. I have literal rolls on my temples, fat rolls on my temples. How does that happen? You do look bad. See, honesty is the best policy here. 
I hate when someone goes, oh no, you're cute. I'm objectively ugly and I feel very comfortable in my skin now. So I can comfortably say that I was extremely hideous. My mom commented on this photo and I'm quoting verbatim on Facebook. Can't believe you went public in this. You put me in a tough position because a mother is always supposed to think her child is adorable dot, 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 about eight dots. Got five likes. I mean, my family has been very supportive. I don't think this will make for a good podcast in terms of stories. No. Well, the fact that my family has been generally supportive of me sexually and otherwise mm. is interesting when juxtaposed alongside political forks in the road, I will mm. frame it as. Mm. One day when I was 15, my mom like found gay porn on the computer and was like, yeah. found something on the computer. Kind of classic, at this point, millennial coming out narrative. I was In hindsight, don't know if she would like people knowing this, but this is exactly what happened. So, she, you know, it happened, whatever. New for her. What she said, I don't know if she would like. Yeah, Nowadays what she said, but she, I don't remember exactly what I said, but it was like, uh, d- don't worry about it. And she said, don't worry, it might just be a phase, which she would probably hate now. And I was like, it's not a phase. Oh, and I had no. plans to go to the Cheesecake Factory with my friend Zara. Mm-hmm. And I, I like, ran out of the house and called Zara on my newly acquired cell phone because it was 2005 <laughs> and um my first one yeah and uh I was like Zara are you we still going to Cheesy Factory she's like no my mom wants to go so I'm just gonna go with my mom and I was like but, but. and I Zara knew that I was gay I was like but my mom just found gay porn on the computer I wasn't crying I don't know why I sound like crying <laughs> um and I was dramatic. like please can we go and actually it was amazing because this woman who I will name because she's amazing Robin Nightfield she's a Georgia peach she's wonderful <laughs> so Zara's or my friend, her daughter. I went to the Cheesecake Factory with them, newly opened at the Willow Grove Mall in Willow Grove, Pennsylvania. And Robin was just, I was clearly distraught that this had just happened. And she was like, you are who you are. And if your parents aren't okay with it right now, that's on them. Just be you. And she was really amazing. And in fact, Zara, her daughter is getting married in a few months. That's why I'm going back to the States soon. Oh, cool. But so I have a weird, in a good way, a weird parental acceptance of homosexuality because my dad's best friend was gay. Okay. In high school, he was Mm -hmm. closeted. My dad knew and my dad has hilarious stories of going I've never been to Fire Island which is like the gay capital of the yeah, world yeah, yeah. Uh, but my dad has been there when he was like 18, 19, 20 I guess and he yeah. has these crazy stories about getting kicked out of a bar by this butch lesbian bouncer who picked him up and took him out of a bar because my dad just me and when he gets too drunk he can become a lot um, but my dad's best friend died during the AIDS epidemic and has this whole story about the night that he passed away my dad woke up in the middle of the night my parents were married and he claims that his ceiling fan came on out of nowhere so like he was like it's his ghost so my dad is very uh not sensitive but he has no reservations about gayness at all he's very open about sex just talking about this last night i have a really oddly open relationship with about sex with my family like Mm. thinking about my parents having sex doesn't freak me out and my dad they did not care if i was having sex when i was in high school but they were very adamant that i use a condom which is great use condoms if you're having sex with phallic objects so (laughs) it was all normal and fine and we're not that jewish we're culturally jewish identify as a reformed jew though is that that's like the least religious okay is that a technical term like reformed reformed judaism conservative judaism orthodox judaism and then there's you know, gradations in between, there's Reconstructionists, there's Hasidim. Hold the phone! History time with Dr. Jake Silver. Before we continue, if you feel like you don't understand the recent and current political situation of Palestine and occupying military state of Israel, feel free to take a listen to the following five minutes, where Jake soothingly explains an unsoothing situation If you feel you have a solid understanding of the situation, feel free to fast forward to about minute 18 to continue our conversation of young Jake growing up with Zionism. 
So the way that the West Bank has become fractured by the Israeli state is wildly complicated if you don't know anything about it. And even sort of the definitions of what land is supposed to be governed by whom, in actuality, it's not the case. You can go back to 1948. The West Bank was a part of Jordan at that point, and the Gaza Strip was a part of Egypt. And it wasn't until 1967 and that war that Israel occupied those two areas which were previously occupied by Jordan and Egypt. And then what happened in 1993 during the Oslo Accords is that the West Bank was divided into three areas, areas A, B, and C, which in effect were supposed to divvy out who would govern whom. So area A was supposed to be totally Palestinian sovereignty. So the Palestinian Authority would control that. Palestinian Authority was created during the Oslo Accords and was only supposed to be temporary, but it ended up being sort of a permanent fixture, which lends to why it isn't a very sound government. Area B is governed by Israel military-wise, but the Palestinian Authority is in charge of anything educational, infrastructural there, so it really doesn't make that much sense. And Area C is supposed to be totally Israeli-governed. It's where the settlements are, and it has come to constitute the majority of the West Bank, which has led to complicated highways that only Israelis can access or Palestinians with the right yellow-plated car and the right type of tasrih or the right visa paperwork. And Area C, even though it's just supposed to be Israeli-governed, is way more you know, complicated than just that. It's not just settlements. There are areas basically right on the other side of checkpoints like Kufraka, which is technically in Jerusalem. And it's on the side of a checkpoint where Israelis are technically not allowed to go, yet it is Area C. So Israel is supposed to be in charge of development, planning, education, etc., which leads to a complete nightmare because Israel is supposed to be in charge of it and they won't go there. So it just ends up being a complete mess in terms of development and the way that things are organized. And the spatial fracture that happens in the West Bank because of all of this, which was supposed to be temporary, but of course has lasted, is that, you know, getting from Ramallah to Janine or Ramallah to Jericho or Nablus to Khalil has become wildly complicated. The roads that would have been direct are now interspersed with settlements. And so the Palestinian highway system has become super roundabout and you have to basically circumnavigate around Area C if you're a Palestinian that can only be in Area A. A, which is the majority of Palestinians who live in the West Bank. And there's a lot of speculation as to how Israel actually effectuates and instantiates the occupation in terms of flying checkpoints, which are checkpoints that they randomly set up. So if you're going between... Uh, Ramallah, Nablus, technically you're not leaving the West Bank, and technically you're in areas A and B only, but the Israeli military, the IDF, can still set up a checkpoint, and it becomes an intimate way to sort of remind you that the occupation can do, you know, whatever we want. The Israeli military, which another important byproduct of the Oslo Accords, is that the Israeli military is not supposed to be able to go into Area A, which all major Palestinian cities are in Area A, I'm supposed to be governed by the Palestinian Authority, but Israel still, you you know, can send in the IDF whenever they want. In effect, they have full control over the entire West Bank. It's annexed and they can technically every time the IDF goes into like Ramallah or Nablus or Jenin or Khalil, it's annexation. 
But we don't, no one sees it as annexation here because they do it whenever they want, and there have been times when they do it over and over on a daily basis, and in some villages they do it all the time. And going back to Kufrarakam, if you live there, you know, technically you're grouped into a side of the checkpoint where, you know, you're with other Palestinians, but it's Area C, so Israel has full military control, so they can set up shop there as much as they want, and they have outposts in these areas. And so, like I said, sort of the way that it becomes divided up the West Bank, it's also, you know, the major effects are that everyone is constantly aware of the occupation because what could be a simple ride somewhere turns into a long trip and you might encounter a random checkpoint that uh, some soldiers decided to set up. So say you're on your way to a date or say you're on your way to see some family, like these intimate moments in our lives become interjected with the intimate moments of military occupation where a soldier can rifle through your, no pun intended, can rifle through your car, can go through your things, can, you know, pull you aside and have you stand there for hours, which has happened to everyone here knows many people that that has happened to in the span of a month, you will know so many people that that has happened to. And on some roads where these checkpoints are, settlers drive, and of course, they're not stopped. So it's a very direct means of profiling and a direct example of, I mean, racist profiling in action and occupation in action. And the Israeli state claims that the spatial fracture that happened in the West Bank and the flying checkpoints are all for security. But like I said, sort of, it's debatable whether it's for security because they only pull random cars aside at certain points and might wave you through and you might not always be pulled aside but the idea or the imagination and that you you know you might be pulled aside creates the effect of always being watched and you're always on edge so you always act and do things as if you'll be pulled aside and this just it so it ties into the landscape of regular life you know the literally everything that we do in our lives depends on the landscapes in which we navigate so if we're talking about romance if we're talking about sex it becomes really complicated within these environments because you can go on a dating app and it technically knows no borders in theory you can go on grinder and see someone two miles away but it they might it might be really difficult to actually get to where they are it might be impossible to get to where they are it might be that you're a palestinian and the person two miles away is a settler and they're the reason why it takes so long for you to get from a to b so it's just become a complete mess So did your parents, did they ever live in Israel? No, I have no family in Israel, which I am very thankful for every day. I should also specify that while my family, my parents were Zionists, which I feel like gives more context for who I am. And like being here in Palestine at all is grappling with what I learned growing up. But anyway, I thought a lot about that trip. It's crazy to me. (laughs) Because, you know, I've tried to speak to Israelis about their accountability in a very active settler colonial project for seven years now. And I talk about it in America, too. I mean, my job in America is to sort of act as that mediator also between what's going on here and between this and between Americans who want to discuss the politics here because they Mm -hmm. act like they know everything, but they've never been here. And Mm -hmm. I take that as a huge, you know, vacuum in the discussion about things over there. I take it as my own responsibility, especially as a Jew, but as an American Jew, to be the mediator between, you know, 
you know, mm. how Palestinians feel for many Palestinians that don't get access or the opportunity to talk to Israelis. And so I will voice those grievances to Israelis. I'll be yeah. that sort of mediator. But I've, I mean, it's reached a sort of head because Israelis never want to listen to me because there is this huge Rastafari movement in Israel. I was talking to a guy who made Aliyah a few months ago, which is weird. Wow. And he was here last summer, last year when I was, I've been living here for a while. And he, I haven't seen him in about a decade. So I wanted to show him around and we're just very politically different. He was basically in Tel Aviv because he never wants to live in America again. And he was between things in Europe. He was in school in Amsterdam or Copenhagen and then Amsterdam. I don't even know. Mm. And he literally, he's a stereotype of foreign Jews mm. uh, when they come to Israel, where he was like, Jewish girls are hot and I love them. Mm. And I love living here, mm. which is classic. When Americans talk about Israelis, yes. they talk about sort of like the sexy soldier. Yeah. Which is not true. Mm. Yeah, he... Or even if there is truth to it, it's weird. It's, it's extremely weird. Yeah. Also because being in love with a soldier is just weird. Yes. And that's being in love with a sort of like imperial project. Yes. But you know, yeah. same old. And I took him to Ramallah and he the entire time was talking about how we're all humans and we should be able to do what we want. And I was like, all right, you're, you have this like sort of peace and free love mindset. And he kept saying, Kol and these like Hebrew isms, Hebrew um, colloquialisms. And I would... What, what does that mean? Kol it's like Kol It's um, like everything is fine. Cool. Yeah. It's all good. Yelling, he yelled it a couple times on the bus from Jerusalem to Ramallah. It's only Palestinian. So wow. I was like, so I have to stop. And he'd be like, no, but we're all humans. And I'd be like, no, no, no. We are all humans, but we have differential access to things. And Israelis have, you know, mobility and Palestinians don't. So if you sound like an Israeli and you're coming here, you understand. Yes. You, know, yeah. you know, they're not going to be friendly to that. They don't want to. And it's not every Palestinian, but they're not friendly to Israelis coming into their land because Palestinians can't go into theirs. Yes. All right. For a while, it was okay. But he said he went on a break in the silence story, which blew my mind. I was like, wow, yeah. that's great. Mm -hmm. But then he told me when he was talking about it, like, oh, they told us not to talk to settlers because they told us that the settlers will make themselves seem like the victims. And I was like, okay, that's true. Mm -hmm. And then he said, we're all humans again. And I Shit. talked to a settler and they are victims in their own way. And I was like, oh this God. is just, you, you're not using context for yeah. like, the occupation. You just, you think everyone's human, it erases, you know, power. It erases yeah. I've met a few really hippy dippy Israelis that talk a lot like mm. that. And it's interesting because we can have so many conversations about other political situations <laughs> in the world that our politics seem to be quite aligned. But as soon sure. as it comes back to here, no, 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 it's all good. We all just need to embrace each other yeah. and let things go. And I've like, stopped going really to 48, which, I mean, if people are listening to this, they might not know what that means, but I don't really call Israel by its name. I call it 48, like mm -hmm. the land that was dispossessed from Palestinians in 1948. Israelis love, I believe, the Rastafari movement, Rastafarianism, is mm -hmm. on the rise and that Israelis are just like everyone's human because if you have to actually come to terms with the fact that you're accountable in a very <coughs> intimately close project of dispossession, dehumanization, and murder, then mm -hmm. you have to change your whole life. You yes. can't... It's different for Americans. I think that Americans Because need when to, you unravel one thread, the entire thing <clears throat> kind of starts to have You to have go. to change your life. Yeah. And I think it's the same for Americans. They should change their lives, but Americans can more comfortably critique American imperialism because it's far away. Yes. But here, you are up close and personal with the people that the state that you are a citizen of, that you are paying taxes to, is, is killing on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So you have to change your whole life. Mm -hmm. So in a lot of ways conversations with Israelis and went nowhere. But mm -hmm. sometimes there are some Israelis that are like really, you know, gung-ho about doing things, but by and large, there's not much mobilization among Israelis. And there's so few Jews that actually live or have lived in occupied Palestine. Yeah, I think that's what was fascinating to me is A, hearing that you were Jewish and that you were living here, but not just even a short-term three-month internship or something, but for years. I mean, I know that you didn't grow up in Israel, but still being yeah, like I said, Jewish. I, I don't have family there, which is a huge thing. I mean, yeah. I think I would feel 
differently. I know, well, I won't name her, but I know a Jew who lives here, who you may know, I think you know. Mm. She has Israeli family, and so for her, she feels like, I hate Israeli culture too, I find it very cold, I am sick of old women cutting in line and telling me that it is a law that old women are allowed to cut in line. I mean, old being like 50 years old, and I'm like, it is not a law. (laughs) You have to wait in this line that we all waited in, like, unless you have a good reason. Mm. But um, she feels more comforted by sort of these cultural tendencies and I'm just put off by them but that's just because of almost a decade of being ostracized and excommunicated and shit on by Israelis themselves so case in point we can get oh why Jake's a self-hating Jew we can talk about that more that's what I wanted to I was like you wanted to get there yeah yeah that's actually the real reason I brought you in here today to address (laughs) no I think we should get to it later because when we start talking more about sexuality things it has to do with that too but the the grinder thing the conversation that you had Uh, oh my god should we summarize well does everyone listening know what grinder is because it is if you don't have one you should get one it is just the best application you can possibly have it's gonna take a second but even like the dating apps i wonder if you could report that and if it would even be worth it but it's interesting Mm. how these dating apps i I noticed you you would or would i know i don't know if you can report it i said i don't know if that would fall under the auspices of it's definitely not harassment it might be hate speech but it might be prejudice i mean i'm not saying that you should it's just an interesting thing with these dating apps that i don't think i've ever encountered so explicitly when i first came here I downloaded Tinder and Bumble just because I was Bumble. 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 You were bumbling around the West Bank. Yeah. Well. That's what I do every day without Bumble. <laughs> just buzz, buzz, buzz. Yeah. I'm, just a, little, I'm a little gay bee. Just a little bee. Oh my just god. And there's going buzz, buzz, buzz. <laughs> But still with the queen bee. But with the queen bee. Exactly. (laughs) I was so frustrated, first of all, on a logistics level, because I couldn't even say that I was in Ramallah. That didn't exist on either Tinder or Bubble. Oh, you have to say where you live. Yes. I I haven't had Tinder since before my last relationship, which was like five years ago. So I mean, I literally deleted it the next day because I was like, I can't do this here. But then it only said that the closest people that lived around me were in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Yeah. Which actually I realized quite quickly is a lie because some of the photos I could pick up on, these guys don't live in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. These guys live in the West Bank, but it's not going to say where they live. Yeah. Or some people who live in Jerusalem and I'm like, well, if, if I want to go out on a date one night, I actually maybe don't feel like going all the way to Jerusalem because of the checkpoint sure. and the whole traffic and yeah. everything. So I, I messaged both Tinder and Bumble and I was like, there's an issue with your app because you don't recognize you don't actually where these people live, let alone anywhere else in the West Bank, mm-hmm. let alone the fact that then I'm also getting people who are soldiers get a settlement to well, where... that's like, Grindr. Most of them are soldiers on Grindr. How do you feel about that? Um, Not good. Yeah. But also, I think my biggest pet peeve when it comes to non Palestinians talking about like Grindr, Palestine, for non-Palestinians talking about dating apps, especially mm-hmm. queer dating apps in Palestine, mm-hmm. is the most common question, and Israelis ask it a lot too, which like blows my mind, is do they have Grindr in Palestine? Which really frustrates me because it's like, it's a fucking app. Yes. You can have it anywhere. Yes. And so when I say that, some people genuinely did mean do pe- do just people, people use it use there, it. but most people get, are caught off guard and they're like, no, I just mean um would are, are Palestinians on it? You know, it's yeah. obvious that they meant yeah. would it even be available there? And I think a lot of it maybe they think they're censorship but mm. like Palestinian grinder is a different form of grinder it's very active and mm. you know it's very sexually driven mm-hmm. I don't have any of the apps that are place based in terms of you have to mark where you live grinders are GPS and locational based so the mm-hmm. people that show up closest to you are visible mm-hmm. and it and doesn't put their city or something or no no it just says 20 feet away 100 feet ah, away 2,000 feet okay. away and so like people message you and be like oh you're close where are you yeah. or I mean most of the time it's just hi Kifa what's up how are you yeah. sometimes people will just send dick pics and I just get really frustrated when people ask questions about it because after living in Palestine for almost a decade, Palestinian grinder is exactly the same really. 
as Grinder in North Carolina where I've also lived because mm-hmm. most of the profiles, and I'm not talking about like in Durham where I lived, which is a city, but if you get outside of the city, it's mostly torsos or just blank profiles and yeah. people, everyone messages you for different reasons. They might want to talk, they might want to have sex. It's all different. And so it's such a frustrating stereotype as if we have to mark Palestinian Grinder as something different because it's exactly the same in so yes. many ways. It's not like New York Grinder because New York Grinder, everyone just is like in a Speedo and you yeah. can see their face, which would be cool here too, but there's no Speedos in Grinder. Right. I, my curiosity get into what are the politics behind it, right? Or it, or if there is like a cultural fear in some ways, of if I do have myself in a Speedo and my face showing and someone sure. knows that I'm on there and like takes a screenshot, whatever. Like. Well, there's, I hate the critique of Palestine writ large, the critique that it might be homophobic or backwards because mm. people ask why you would live here as a gay man or something like that because it is homophobic. It's basically an, a deflationary tactic for you to, you have no pathway to a critical response because mm-hmm. how can you possibly as a gay person be like, oh, well, it's, there is no homophobia here because that's clearly a lie. There's homophobia here. There's homophobia everywhere. I know many queer and gay people here. The issue is, I mean, and this is a huge strand of queer activism in Palestine, like first and foremost, people identify as queer, but also people identify as a united Palestine, as a Palestinian front that is searching for sovereignty and fighting for sovereignty in a land where the imperial power, colonial power dominates and will not give them freedom. And you can only have sexual freedom when you have freedom in the first place and you don't have that. And so while there is homophobia here and while there's sexism in a lot of things, those are not dissociated from the fact that there's occupation. And in your daily life, you know, if you're just in Ramallah, you may not experience the, the occupation actually seeps in in very insidious ways so it's mm. always there but you know you may not directly confront it on a daily what um, yeah and in, especially in, if you don't know what to look for like if you're a visitor here not know how to see yeah, it yeah yeah but I was, it's just to say like queer people thrive here and last night i mean i don't want to get super specific because these sort of spaces are also really i mean they're sacred in a way like sexually mm. sacred and also sort of socially and energetically sacred but there's groups of men in a palestinian city that i won't name mm-hmm. who don't identify as gay but they meet up and a lot of them do drag and they mm-hmm. sleep they might sleep with each other or sleep with other men but these like are huge parties and they exist mm-hmm. but at the same time you know these men some of them are married they don't necessarily identify as gay these things occur they occur in different ways in it's different like ways. queer people are everywhere they thrive everywhere in different ways but yeah. also I don't really know how you expect queer people to thrive when those same people have to deal with you know like systemic debilitation every city is different but the debilitation can occur in terms of what if you you were just talking about going on a date through a checkpoint what if you mm-hmm. fall in love with someone in Ramallah and you live in Tukadam mm. or something like that. You have to go through checkpoints. Mm-hmm. There may be flying checkpoints. You may not be able to go during Ramadan. They might close the checkpoints. Like, you can't see each other. What if you are on some gay dating app and you meet someone in Yaffa? I know a lot of people who have dated people in Haifa and Yaffa. The complete structural readjustment that happened in mostly it's like 67 and then in 2003 totally changes how you can be queers. It's not just being queer and gay rights. It's not like, no. it's not just like, you know, let's liberate ourselves. Yeah. It's, liberation it's like is more complicated. The examples you're giving are direct examples of how politics affect sexuality. Maybe they don't affect your orientation. Maybe they don't affect your beliefs yeah. necessarily, but they affect your daily life, which affects your relationships, what you're able to do yeah. physically. And Can you talk at all about pinkwashing? Because that might be interesting for people to learn about. Uh, did I tell you this, that I wrote my undergraduate thesis on no, pinkwashing? No, <laughs> Oh, and the grinder example is totally representative of pinkwashing in a certain way. Yeah. A certain pinkwashing, pinkwashing, you know what it is, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brought, but I've thought a lot about pinkwashing, and I've yeah. also done work with like, alcohols and other queer rights organizations here and but mostly in America when I've been in America I've been doing anti-pinkwashing advocacy pinkwashing is basically the strategic use at the scale of the state so like the nation and the strategic championing of one country's gay friendly atmosphere in order to shun or 
belittle, like, or, you know, internationally shame another government for those specific strategic reasons that for the Israeli government, for example, exist in legitimating their occupation of Palestine. So Israeli mm-hmm. pundits can basically speak to queer individuals across the world and say, why would you support Palestine when you could be killed, which isn't true, you won't be killed here. Mm-hmm. You could support Israel, which is a country where gay people thrive. And yes. Israel has it kind wor- of paints this whole idea, an image of tolerance and liberal yeah. thought. And so that kind of starts to paint an image of, oh, we're totally always free and always civil and always just because of this example. Mm-hmm. It's like by it's, using it's this example, one dis- they, it's it a discrete that, example yes, that they separate from everything equality. else. Yeah. So you then don't even believe that a country like that could then yeah. actually be unjust. To well, we country. just talked about how sexuality is so intimately intertwined with regimes of governance, you know, literal architectures by which you, and in saying regimes of governance is so theoretical and broad, but your sexuality, your sexual life is structured and made discontinuous by the literal roads that you have to take where the government mm. that controls the area you live in mm-hmm. actually adjudicates over. So it's, it ends up being really complicated. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so pinkwashing, it strategically separates, you know, sexual issues from everything else, from issues of colonialism, occupation, whatever. The issue that I have with pinkwashing also is that, so pinkwashing is bad and there are many examples of it, especially in 2008, there was Tel Aviv Gay Vibe, which was this huge international campaign that the Israeli Interior Ministry, I think, devoted an insane amount of money to. This can, is Googleable. It's been a while since I've looked it up, but they've devoted an insane amount of money to in order to advertise themselves as the gay destination. They call themselves the gay capital of the Middle East, which is, you know, complicated in and of itself because yes. they're modeled after a European nation and they try to identify with Europe as much as possible, but when it's strategic and they can offset yes. themselves as like the liberal yeah, exception the in the Middle East, the Middle East the then they do that. And, you know, that but also pinkwashing is really complicated. It has become, it reached a certain critical mass, especially in activist circles. Mm-hmm. And my friend Saad Achan is writing a book about this that mm. probably will come out this year. It's called Queer Palestine and the Empire of Critique because it's about pinkwashing as a critique. It's about people who critique pinkwashing specifically. Mm. And it ties into what I was saying before about the fact that homophobia and sexism exist here. Mm-hmm. Because if pinkwashing becomes the sole sort of issue by which people discuss Israel-Palestine, then you have two camps. People who are saying what I was saying before is people who support Israel who say, how can you support Palestine? It's die there if you're gay, they'll kill you. You have to mm. support Israel. We're more morally progressive, which in and of itself is a flawed term. Yeah. And then you have people who say, no, it's not. And a lot of people have combated pinkwashing by claiming that, by talking about the occupation, but not talking about the fact that there are more intertwined issues yes. like homophobia and sexism that exist yes. here. So like I've gotten into so many fights with my parents when I was writing my undergraduate thesis about pinkwashing because they took the you know moral side of, you know, you can be gay in Israel. It makes more sense to live there. And, mm. I, and the only sort of, I mean, I was 20, I think at the time, like mm. I wasn't, I don't think I had sort of the vocabulary to speak to them about this, but yeah. I would counter it by saying that's not true. Yeah. And it's less about intersectionality and it's more about like this side. It's more about one this issue. Side. Yeah. And so if you... But it becomes a redemptive narrative where people yeah. say Palestine is not homophobic. Palestine is not backwards. And, and then it gets into post-colonial critique right. where a lot of people have, uh, especially like Joseph Massad, who very, his intervention's important, but it's a problem when he basically says that gay is a label that the West imported into Palestine. So a lot of people have said you can't call us homophobic because that label, that term is of Western descent. Wow. The problem is like gay people exist everywhere yeah, now. Yeah, so yeah. that critique has sort of lost yeah. its power as when he wrote his book Desiring Arabs in mm-hmm. like 2005 or something. Mm-hmm. But it becomes a redemptive critique where you can say, you know, there's no accountability for Palestinians. Gayness is not a term that we have here. So mm-hmm. we're fine. Wow. And the problem is, yeah but, people, yeah, but there is homophobia here. Yeah, yeah. Whether or not you label Buddy. it. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, to just, yeah, that's why like I'm in academia. So I'm unfortunately talking about things like post-colonialism. But that's why post-colonialism no, no, has like lost 
lost its charge because it it can only get you so far. Yeah, for sure. It's true for everyone. It's true for all over the world too. We're going to like queer theory, which is all about how can we own our bodies and have complete autonomy over our bodies to, you know, express desire, take part in pleasure. If you want to have a baby, have a baby. How can you do these things as part of the black community in America? You're systemically targeted by the police and they're debilitating your bodies. And there's, you know, Mm. high instances of disability of the police violently targeting black bodies. It's the same thing here. I mean, the whole pinkwashing thing was really, pinkwashing as a term was sparked by Jasbir Puar. Her book, Terrorist Assemblages. I think the subtitle is Homo Nationalism in Queer Times, which Homo Nationalism is sort of the theoretical term that oh. is larger than pinkwashing. It's yes. sort of the, uh, it's basically a discursive term to encapsulate the era in which we live, where mm-hmm. nations, st- it has to do with homosexuality within mostly liberal settler states, where a country's sort of progressive potential is based on its inclusion or exclusion of gay citizens. Mm-hmm. And she writes about how in America, for example, there have been many cases where the queer community has been excised from the general population or targeted by police or whatever, you know, totally left out to die historically. Mm. But in certain periods of exception during like the war on terror and stuff, queer, the queer community can become enfolded into the nation in order to sort of displace that suffering and murder upon another population. So that's the term. But her most recent book is about disability and debility in Palestine. And it's about, Mm. it it brings up the example of like the Break Their Bones policy, which uh, Yitzhak Rabin started a Break Their Bones policy here, which was basically don't kill Palestinians, disable them. So like shoot for their kneecaps, rubber Mm. bullets. And so her argument too is, you know, there's no such thing as bodily autonomy here Mm. because, Mm -hmm. you know, entire communities are made, they're not just killed, but their entire qualities of life have been completely by the nature of a occupying army that is always there. They are consistently targeted. So they are made to live in worse conditions. She calls it debilitation. I think of literal debilitation. Two people that I met recently come to mind. Two men. They are not together. They're completely Do they have uniballs? Okay. One of them, he is a man, I'm not going to name him. We used to work a lot with him when I did human rights work in the Selfie region. And he's super influential at this point in his life in trying to get peace activists and like frontline activists together with actual situations going on in the Selfie region, which is north of Ariel, which is the biggest settlement in Palestine. But he uh, is a Palestinian man who joined the Second Intifada. He was running to try to kind of save and shield this group of young women and a few kids. And he got shot point blank by the military. Now, it seemed that they were actually shooting to kills, but he ended up over a long period of time in and out of the hospital getting paralyzed from the waist down. Mm-hmm. Him and his wife, they did end up having artificial insemination and they had two pairs of twins and then one older son. But then he was paralyzed from the waist down and he used to be a physical education teacher. So his entire life completely shifted mm-hmm. um, and he became yeah. just like full on peace, became his full time job, more frontline activist kind of stuff. But that, that has extremely affected their household. Now, I don't remember exactly how this happened, so I don't want to say this incorrectly, but his his wife passed away last year and I went to visit them in the fall and she passed away from stomach cancer but going to visit his family's home he's one of these people that actually is such a beautiful soul but it was shitty visiting their home you've got these five children and just him now as soul caretaker soul caretaker just the morale of the house has totally gone down kind of losing his mother Another man that I was thinking about, I just met him on Friday, four years ago in the last huge attacks on Gaza in August of mm-hmm. 2014. Mm-hmm. He was... Oh, the... The airstrikes and mm-hmm. the... No, I was living here. Yeah, yeah. And 
he something happened to his leg. I didn't see his leg, so but he had some issues that happened to his leg. He was caught in an explosion in Gaza, and so then he somehow was sent to uh, the hospital in Ramallah and was allowed permission to get into Ramallah. Crazy. After that happened, and so for him, he basically took that as a huge chance to try to get out of Gaza. So his wife and he has got a daughter in Gaza who are still there. He's trying to figure out a way to get them to here. bring them, but he's never gone back. He was supposed to go back, but he never went back because mm-hmm. he was like, I'm in the West Bank now. For him, he sees West Bank as freedom. Huge, yeah. yeah. It's huge. He's living here alone. He hasn't seen his family in three years. But this disability got him to Ramallah, but it's like this weird kind of thing where he's trying to use it. But he's not here legally, right? He's not here legally. Sure. So it's not like the disability was a ticket here. It's not a ticket. No. It's that the situation is that fucked up that an explosion could make him maybe get to Ramallah, which is actually seen as a ticket out. It's a ticket out of Gaza, I mean, for sure. For him, yeah. But it has put him in this really desperate situation and has made his life a living hell, actually, Mm, in a lot of ways. And same with this other guy. To me, that that is linked to these guys' sexuality is that they just want to have a life. Yeah. Especially the one who I know in Selfie is always like, I actually don't want to be doing peace activism as a job. I do it because that's all I feel like I can do right now. Mm. And I'm also in a wheelchair, so I can't be a physical education teacher anymore i just want to raise my kids and live in my home and have a life same this guy was also saying that too he's like i'm from gaza i don't want to be here working alone in a garden shop sending money back to my daughter who i haven't seen in three years like i just want to be with her and work a really random body break if you're enjoying what you hear please consider checking out body and wine's patreon page patreon.com slash body and wine podcast monthly donations of one dollar five dollar or $25 will help support the costs associated with the project. Either way, please share episodes and our Instagram at Body and Wine Podcast with friends and social media networks. Let's break down those taboos. Boo yeah. Hello. Hello. Hello, and welcome to my nail salon. It's half price middle finger day. Do you want a nail job? Because I'm really bad at them. <laughs> The problem with the war idiom, which is oh, totally overused, is it it suggests a parity of power, where that yes, which equal. which is a huge problem if you want to talk at the level of the state, if you want mm. to talk about the Palestinian Authority, Hamas versus Israel, because Americans always say you know Palestinians if they really wanted their own freedom within the Palestinian Authority, if they wanted sovereignty, they have the Palestinian Authority. Why wouldn't they? It mm. Neglects the fact that the Palestinian Authority is complicit in all of Israeli offensives and invasions and whatnot. But also a huge part of it, if you want to. Get the individual level, which is what you're talking about, is that Israelis don't have to deal with this uh, to the level of geographic isolation and mm-hmm. bodily disablement and stuff like that. Like, Israelis don't deal with that. And yes, Israelis do have to deal with certain threats that I think are phantasmatic, imagined threats more mm-hmm. than not. That media has a lot to it, do with. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Missiles don't hit ground in Israel very much. The Iron Dome is insanely precise. And the international media only focuses on, you know, Hamas launched missiles into southern Israel or by Tel Aviv. Israel responded with missiles in Gaza, which mm. that's, that shit happens. Mm. But what we never actually hear about are the very minuscule attacks where people's bodies are forever injured or disabled or people die. When someone dies in the West Bank, people don't hear about it in yeah, America. Yeah. And actually, as an interjection, even just in 2014, because I was also here in 2014, mm. just after the, the airstrikes in Gaza over the end of, I think it was August. Then afterwards, that whole fall, there was just this series of attacks on quote-unquote both sides or whatever within the West Bank and within 48 it was 
not one here, one there, one here, one there. It was interesting in how these things were being reported because if one attack happened against a settler Mm -hmm. or against an Israeli, it was international news as to like after these attacks on Gaza, they're retaliating, blah, blah, blah. But we were getting news stories every day of settlers within the West Bank literally attacking and killing Palestinians. And then not only that, you had the collective punishment. So like if something, if someone was actually caught, whether or not they were guilty Mm -hmm. for attacking someone who's Israeli and or a settler, you know, the implications on their Their family. village gets quarantined. So it was, again, just going on this imbalance of power and this notion that it's two equal sides. Because it's not. You can't be equal sides when one of the sides is occupying the other, you know? Yeah, it's suffocating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what an uplifting conversation. I know. We can move. Let's move. We never talked about the grinder conversation. We'll get there. We got knee-deep into horrible Israeli policy. Yeah, boring stuff. Okay, let's move away from that. I don't think anything having to do with Jews and sexuality is very fun. No, that's not true. There's a lot of fun things. Body and Wine Podcast encourages guests to freely discuss their experiences, ideas, and opinions. These beliefs and stories are representative of the individuals that share them. Amongst laughs and bits of wisdom, these conversations can also include varying challenges related to belief and sexuality. Please use your discretion as you listen, and as always, take care of yourself. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers to a new bottle of rosé. Hi, welcome to Charlie's Kitchen. You hungry? Because we don't have food. So keep walking, kid. (laughs) Okay. So our theme was to shift from heavy politics because that's not fun. politics. Oh, cool. We can talk. We can talk about the grinder story. Talk about the grinder story because it's so fun. That's so fun. Yeah, I'm on hotspot. So, so we're on the hotspot. We're on the hotspot. So many hotspots. I love looking at phones like they're human people instead of humans. Human people. Human people. Like a serious point at a phone. Like you. Record me. It's Siri Duck. Siri, yeah, it's true. She's, they've anthropomorphized her. And now she's in our lives. We don't have to talk about that. No, no, let's not talk about that. It's and my, I don't think my niece and nephew know that, like, Alexa is not a real person talking to them through a box. Do you really think that? <gasps> no, I think that they're a little... It, at a certain point, they figure it out. But, like, it sounds like a human voice speaking to you. Yeah. And it's the same as, like, and a phone. And if you're a child. It's the same as a phone. You know, like, you're Safta, which means my mom is Safta. Grandma in Hebrew. She talks through the phone. Alexa also talks through a box. It's like the same thing. For kids this generation, instead of saying, like, Santa's not real, you have to be like, Alexa is not real. <laughs> For Christmas, I got you a really hard truth. <laughs> Alexa's not real. So, one thing, though, about being Jewish and queer is you have to be in the closet if you're queer and Jewish, and you have to come out of it, and then you totally have to come out of another closet if you are anti-Zionist, which I think is true, which is something that really bothers me because, I don't know, if, do you know who Barry Weiss is? Scum of the earth. She's not the scum, sure, she's a very nice woman. Um, she is, she's the editor for the, one of the editors for the opinion section of the New York Times. She's also a very active Zionist young writer, and she's seen as being one of the new young voices for the Jewish people but she's very Zionist she loves Israel and in a lot of her articles I mean just to, now I'm just kind of going off track a little bit but she's so Great. she's so toxic in the sense that she when Ilhan Omar had a huge controversy because she was quote unquote anti-Semitic that whole brigade was basically started by Barry Weiss because she wrote an article about she dug up Ilhan Omar's tweet during the 2014 war which we were just talking about in Gaza yeah. and she wrote Ilhan Omar had a tweet that was like Israel is hypnotizing the world we need to see like, the true atrocities that are going on yes. something whatever may yes. Allah show us something okay. 
And Barry Weiss claimed Ilhan Omar was using the classic myth of Jewish hypnosis that is rooted in Nazi ideology to turn the world against Jews. And it's not true. There is no history of Jewish hypnosis. It's more complicated than that she made that up. There is no history of that. I like academic adjacent to that field. It doesn't exist. I did some research to see if it did. It doesn't. And one thing that really bothered me lately is she was on some panel for like young voices of the Jewish world in America. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She was moderating it and she introduced it. So it wasn't even a question. It was like the foundation of a question. She said, you know, like nowadays Zionists have to stay in the closet. There's like a closet for them. And, and she basically, like, she claimed Zionists were vulnerable to some sort of, I don't know, punishment that anti-Zionists could inflict upon them. I don't know what it is. The one thing that she named specifically was, and this is all online, this panel, mm. she claimed that Zionist Jews have trouble getting jobs, which is actually the opposite. Anti-Zionist Jews, most sort of central Jewish like, media publications, mm. and especially in the government, any sort of, like, Jewish NGO or, you know, you can't be openly anti-Zionist. That mm. won't cut it. Mm-hmm. So she claimed that, that Zionists have to be in the closet, which inverts the entire structure of Israel's power system. And it says the people that support Israel's power system, which is a structure of power that decides who lives and who dies, who can enter and who can exit mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who are the most vulnerable, mm-hmm. not the people who are speaking out, speaking truth to power about that system. So anyway, Whoa. that is really fucked up to me. And I feel like it's such a manipulation of what's actually going on. And it was so messed up for me to hear because I thought, all right, so being in the closet as a queer person or mm-hmm. a gay person, a lesbian, whatever, extremely psychically horrible for a long time yeah. you don't trust yourself society teaches you not to be yourself you find and many come to terms with it many don't I mean it ends up being a lifelong process it's mm. ne- never really gets better per se as Dan Savage will have you believe <laughs> but um she's capitalizing off of that as yeah. if Zionists have that same sort of um, right. have to go through that same sort of shit so anyway so you have to come out of the closet I'm saying as an anti-Zionist and the other day we were at a bar and I was talking to a guy on Grinder who was Israeli and he should I just read it? <laughs> yes, you should definitely read okay. it. Okay, so he said in the first message in Hebrew, Manishma, which means, how are you? Like, what's up? And I responded, I'm good. How are you in English? And he said, oh, thanks for translating. Ha ha. And I said, oh, it's, I speak a little Hebrew, but not really. Mm. I said it in Hebrew. And he said, okay, nice. So I assume you're Jewish. And I said, and just completely after five messages goes just down the fucking tubes. I said, ha ha. Yes, I'm Jewish. I live in Ramola, though. <laughs> five minutes after that, at 8, 19 p.m. Wait, sorry. Interjection. Just for those that don't know the geography, Ramallah is within what's called the West Bank, and this person is clearly not within the West Bank. They would be in well, they what's could known be in, as Israel, could likely, be in a settlement. or a settlement. Could yeah. be in a settlement in the West Bank. But Ramallah is... Um, Ramallah's yes. behind checkpoints. Yes. Yeah. So he responds to, I live in Ramallah, was, why the hell would you live in Ramallah? Like, for real, why the fuck would you do that? Mm. And then I think I responded nicely, because I'm, like I said, at the beginning of our conversation, like, I tried to engage Israelis and Jews as much as possible because Palestinians don't usually get the opportunity to and sometimes people listen clearly mm. spoiler alert this guy didn't listen I nicely just said I didn't try to change his mind about anything I said haha I've lived here for seven years it's just a regular city like I said I'd love to if you want I'd love to talk to you about it sometime but I'm sure hanging out with this guy would be awful fucking horrible <laughs> oh oh and I also asked I said I've lived here for seven years have you ever been here mm-hmm. um, I didn't get to screenshot my messages mm-hmm. and he said yeah actually I've been there as a kid as my parents were driving on a road near Ramallah years ago, which I just realized he said he's been here because he was on a road near Ramallah years ago, which is weird. Like, yeah, yeah, not yeah. here, probably on the way to a beach somewhere. Or a settlement. Or a settlement. Maybe he likes Jericho. Yeah. And he said, and the Arabs were stoning, stoning them just for being Jews. Huge rocks that could have killed them, which like, I don't know how big they were, but okay. Mm-hmm. And here you are a Jewish person, a Jewish
Jewish gay person. Living in Ramallah contributing to their economy. As if they wouldn't have killed you if they just knew who you are. Mm. That's the most horrible thing that's going on with Jews living abroad. They forget who they are. And I said, everyone I know here knows I'm gay and Jewish. For them, there's a big difference between being Jewish and being Israeli. It's a complicated issue. Oh, and this is when I said, I'd be happy to meet and talk to you about it sometime. And then before... <laughs> so Charlie was there. Before I could screenshot that, I was shocked because he said, if they really... Uh, they're just pretending. And he said that they're pretending and if they really knew who I was, they would kill me or something like mm. that. And I'm not... It's something about... <sighs> Did he say, like, are you really Jewish? I don't know. Something like that. And then he, seconds later, or like 30... Blocked to, me. Yeah, yeah, just blocked you. Just blocked me. Yeah. Oh, oh, and I wrote in the Instagram story, they only pretend to like you, but they're all terrorists. You really don't know where you are, is what mm. he said, which I was really upset with, because I was like, yeah, I've lived here for seven years. You've been on a road near here. So When like, you were a kid. Yeah. It lends ties into pinkwashing earlier. There's the idea that there's no space for humanity at all here, because mm. from an Israeli perspective, any form of humanity that is worth living couldn't possibly live here because to them Palestinians aren't humans they're just mm. monsters mm. and that is a huge part of the debate right now that's happening in America where you know Zionist Jew young Zionist Jews can claim that Zionists have to be in the closet when in reality they have no idea what being in the mm. closet is like if they're not queer and they have no idea what being in the closet is like here they can assume yes. and there's all these contours of you know sexual life that they just that they make complete assumptions around and yeah. it's, there's no room for discussion I think which is the worst part yeah. there's like you can't talk to anyone yeah even I I think that very simple grinder conversation, how do you even begin to unpack that? Like, even the fact that it's like, I went on this road near Ramallah when I was a child one time, and these stones were And I know Ramallah. So the one thing that was crazy is like, he threw in the comment, and you're contributing to their economy. Yes, it's like, economy. Also, like, what first e of all, what economy? Sorry, 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 who's controlling the economy? And let's, yeah, let's you control there. the economy, and who, what, this yeah. economy is withering, has been, forever. Yes. <sighs> so this happened okay. five days ago? This happened five days ago. But let's talk about friends. All right. So that one, like my kink is being yelled at when people tell me I'm not Jewish. So that kind of was a fun thing to talk about. <laughs> I love being called a self-hating Jew. I mean, who really does it? Oh my God. I mean, I've never been called that. So I can't. Raise your hand if your kink is being called your self-hating Jew. <laughs> like, say it again. <laughs> <laughs> a, a homophobic self-hating Jew. <laughs> I should be on Twitter more. I'm sure more people would call me a self-hating Jew. You definitely. Actually, you had I a don't... lot of comments on that story. I was sitting next yeah. to you and you could hardly hang out at the bar. Because I know. you were just like, I'm responding. To I was like... up until like 6 a.m. because people were, this is real? What? Wow. Oh it's my like God. live news. Well, it also ties into the fact that I feel like people think, I don't understand this mm. fucking logic. People think queer people are more welcoming of their own kind, which is ridiculous I because they're not. I have heard that so many times. It's like grind. Yes. And before you were talking about, can you report hate speech? Mm. Can you, could I report this on Grinder? you asked for? Yeah. It's like, well, people on Grinder have in their profiles no blacks. It's just a preference. No fat people. No, mm. I mean, no mm. specific racial types. I don't think you could report it. Yeah. But that ties into how in France, when I just got stuck in France for five days, everyone was so mean to me. Like, mm. I would say, bonsoir, parlez-vous anglais. And they would be so mean. And then they'd look at me with a fucking grimace and then say, yeah, I speak English. And I'd be like, well, you didn't have to grimace at me. And everyone yeah. was so mean sure. that I was just, I'm going to go to gay bars and see if that works. And it didn't work. People sure. were just as mean. Yeah. Like nothing. Queer people are just as bad, especially the white ones. They're really bad. And the Jews. We're, we're, we're horrible. I'm a self-hating Jew, so I gotta, I gotta throw in the Jews are the bad. self-hate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think Jews love self-deprecation anyway. Why can't we just own it? Why, instead, of, instead of calling some of us self-hating Jews, can we all just be self-hating Jews? Because we, we all oh, it are sounds like you down. all are. We all are. I think that's a stereotype, isn't it? Yeah, if you psychoanalyze Israel, <laughs> we're all self-hating Jews. 
Okay, I don't actually know that much of like self-hating Jews other than just hearing about it for like, a really long time. But isn't, aren't a lot of people just self-hating or are Jews just like especially good at it? Well, the idea of a self-hating Jew is conflates anti-Semitism with anti-Zionism. So yeah. it's like Jews who are critical of Israel are intrinsically hate themselves and hate other Jews, which is... Because it's like to hate the politics means that you hate yourself. Yeah. Which so is not true. It's also, my, yeah, I mean, it conflates faith, it conflates mm. culture with a nation state and an yeah. empire. But it also blows my mind because it's like, do you really think that I identify with the culture and the religion of Judaism so that I can tear everyone in it down? Mm. Am I that mm-hmm. fucking tied mm-hmm. to the cause? Mm-hmm. I'm just, which is clearly not the case. But also there's a huge difference between sort of like American cultural Judaism. One, there's a difference between American cultural Judaism from city to city, but also a huge difference between American cultural Judaism and culture in Israel. Mm-hmm. So like, there's not a lot of overlap. So when I try to sort of hobnob with Israelis, it doesn't really work. Yeah. I feel way more at home with Palestinians. And which I think also a huge thing about it that has to do with that though is ever since coming here, you know, seven years ago, Americans don't come here. So Palestinians are always just like, why are you here? And they're always really impressed. Whereas Israelis are, uh, not all of them, but many of them are upset if you're a Jew who lives in the diaspora. Because you're the problem if you're a diaspora Jew. That's what Theodore Herzl's like writing on Zionism Mm. was like, the problem is diasporic Jews because if they exist, we are not a strong people. And that like continues on in the basically every project of the Israeli state birthright is to get Jews to, you know, fall in love and have Jewish babies and live here. Even what I was talking about before, like Tel Aviv Gay Vibe is a means of getting gay Jews to come here and love love it here and move here. Everything is to get the diaspora here. Question. Yes. Slightly moving away from the politics, although we'll probably go back to Let's get fun. Okay. I want to know. Is the question about bikinis and eggs? Something like that. (laughs) Throwing eggs. At bikinis. bikinis. (laughs) No, no, no. On uniballs. Okay, let's talk about uniballs. Yeah. Oh, calm down. (laughs) Let's just talk about assless chaps. (laughs) Welcome to Charlie's Assless Chaps Hour, where there's holes in every article of clothing, (laughs) but that's because of the moths, not our kinks. The assless thing reminded me of the fact that when we had this conversation, kind of with your mom, without her really realizing this, mm. when we bonded over assholes, I really felt like, okay, this friendship is real, you know? And my mom was schooling us on what it means to have an, a sphincter in your asshole or not. Yes, exactly. Yeah, she knows nothing about it. And she clearly, I think, wanted to not talk about it. Yes, 100%. She doesn't want to talk about 99% of the things I'm talking about. Because 99% of the time I'm talking about buttholes or anuses. So I want to know, how do you, ooh, if you even know this, because I think about this constantly for myself, but that's because I did come from a very religious upbringing and I really absorbed it. How do you determine who and when you either sleep with people or have like a sexual encounter with someone? Just like how do you determine your sexual ethical morality? Um, well, I really, it ruins any sort of extended romantic thing if someone's politics don't mesh with mine in a way that I could never date a Zionist, but also I don't think I could fuck a Zionist at this point in my life just because it's such a boner killer. Yeah. And I need one of those to enjoy myself. You need a boner, yeah. Yeah. I mean, personally, as someone with a penis, I need a boner <laughs> to enjoy myself during sex. Yeah. I mean, also, so my last relationship, I dated someone for like over three years and it was, we emotionally and politically were really there for each other and it was really good. And we, he's also Muslim and black and I'm Jewish and anti-Zionist. So like in our, for reasons I won't get into with him, but especially for me, as I've already talked about, like in our specifics 
social world. It wasn't always extended social circles, not just our friends. Mm -hmm. We weren't always supported or championed, so we found, you know, strength from each other. So I can't really, at this, you know, I'm 28, I just can't be attracted to someone unless I'm really drunk if they're just, if they support Israel, if, if they can't understand or don't agree with my political opinions, then there's going to be no blood flowing to my penis. Fair enough. But if I'm drunk, the blood can flow. And that's also a huge problem, just like drunk hookups are a huge problem yeah, in yeah. general. Definitely. But in America, but that's also the thing though, a lot of times these don't come up necessarily. If you meet someone and it's a one night stand, you're not going to so uh, do you like Benjamin Netanyahu? How do you feel about Mahmoud Abbas? I think that's my problem with my game, actually, is usually... <laughs> You're always like, how's Benjamin Netanyahu? Yeah, yeah, well, how's your soul? <laughs> and how did the politics inform your soul? <laughs> I'm also not into astrology, so that uh, separates me from a lot of people in the queer community. I'm surprised at how many people are into astrology, actually. I mean, it's insane. It's a type of mm. sort of scientization of the soul that's not, you know, paternal and controlled by the state. Okay. We're so fragmented. Going back to just me being Jewish, there's so much fragmentation in the Jewish community. And there's so much fragmentation in the gay community. I identify as gay, but I identify as queer also. And yeah. then how that, you know, how that maps onto your body is complicated. But mm -hmm. the Jewish thing is more upfront because Israel has become a scepter of Judaism. And that is wrong. Why has a religion come to be defined by like, a bounded entity of borders? It's like, mm -hmm. I don't... Even though, yeah, Christianity, many states are defined by Christianity. Uh, my, my faith and spirituality are not defined by an exclusionary state. That's yeah. not... That Do you have mean. a defined spirituality or no? Well, Judaism is how, I mean... Are you religiously Jewish? I I celebrate the holidays. I think that more so identify as being culturally Jewish. I identify as a Jew religiously, but I, I don't practice a lot. But like I said, I went to Hebrew school my whole life, so I can recite any damn prayer you want. And I can read Hebrew. Let's I can speak it. Hebrew. It's on. Kind of. I used to be a lot better. If you want that mourner's cottage? You want that Aleinu? You want that Aleinu? I don't know what I want. You can just... No. <laughs> <laughs> I threw, Stop it. I threw Stop it. in there. Yeah, so... So, sorry, you say that you would be more religiously or spiritually Jewish? Culturally, totally. traditionally? I identify more as culturally Jewish. Okay. Do you because have that's what American cultural Judaism is so fucking great. I love my culture in America. <laughs> but also a lot of them are Zionists. Yeah. But there's a lot of good conversations that happen in America. And I think that American Jews are really... Hannah Arendt wrote in the fucking 40, 50s, mm. it, she wrote, Israel's strained relations with diaspora Jews are going to blow up in its face one day. That's not how she wrote it. She wrote it in a much more... More beautiful way and like <laughs> theoretically grounded yes. way but it was so true and it's mm. happening because in America we're not we do have our own propaganda about Israel but we don't have the same thing shoved down our throat I mean as extremely as Israeli Jews do yeah. so we're coming around and I think that there's a lot of really uncomfortable conversations that need to be had but if you're only having comfortable conversations then you're living in ignorance and your life is unproductive if you're having uncomfortable conversations then you're doing something right and you're evolving as a human yeah so that's important I'm curious then where do you draw like please make me uncomfortable. I want to evolve. Oh. My parents do it all the time. I think that we always get in fights, but I'm like, that's what we need. And yeah. also my parents made me not a self-hating Jew, but a self-deprecating Jew. <laughs> Perfect. Cheers. Cheers to uh, consent. Consent. Okay, but... But I mean, I think that's really important just to answer that question really quickly because I, especially with my last ex, so I said we were emotionally really su yeah. or supportive of one another. Dating him, I realized that, uh, and not in a way that like makes me uncomfortable, but like, it's not that I've been raped before, but I didn't know what consent was. So like mm. when I was younger, I didn't know what to say and things happened that like, I could have said no to, or even I have said no to people, but they didn't stop. But you know, victim and self-blaming is so common, at least in American and probably Canadian culture that I was, oh, I 
was like, that was my fault. I didn't voice that I didn't want to do something enough or too loudly. So, mm. so I think through those experiences I've grown, but also like, I will never, even like tiny things. When you ask someone, can I kiss you? Which also it's fucking sexy when you're really close to someone and there's yeah. some sexual attractions like, can I, can I kiss you? And yeah. then I'll always ask, like, can I unbutton your pants? Can I, yeah. can I put my tongue in your butthole? Be yeah. very, can I give you a rim job? <laughs> yeah. People paint it like, oh, it's so unsexy to ask that. No, it's, no, it's actually it's really, like really hot. It's really hot. Also say what you want to do. It's really hot. Yeah. 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 It's like, and, but if someone that also sometimes people are like, no, I'm like, cool. What do you want me to do? Yeah. Cause I'll do it. Yeah. Cause it turns me on when I can turn you on. Yes. And to know what each, to know what I want is a turn on to the other person. Exactly. And if, I'm someone who loves to please. So yeah. Like if you told me I like this and if that turns you on, I'd be like, I will do that. <laughs> Unless it's like a knife in my thigh. I'd be like, no. Oh, I'm not gonna I, hurt I you. do draw a line. Not one with, time not a guy a while we were having sex was like punch me and call me faggot, and I was like, uh, no. Mm, yeah. So I can't. I wouldn't. I'm not gonna kink shame if you were into it. But I was like, I can't. For me, sex is not like super separable from real life, and I can't call you faggot. Just not something I'm into. Look he was it. like, great. I'm good to know. I'll never do it again. And the next time we had sex, he was like, punch me and call me faggot. And I was like, yeah, we're not gonna see each other again. <laughs> okay, but okay, this is a good segue. Mm-mm. What is something then that you find attractive in another person? What do you like? What do I find person. attractive in another person? Um, you know, I haven't really thought about this a lot. It's cool because I can pause and it makes it seem like I'm, I'm not, and you can you can cut it out and it makes it seem like I wasn't No, I'm going to let this ramble. I'm just going to record the whole Okay, I have a huge problem answering that question because I'm still in love with the last guy that I dated. So when you ask that question, I think about him because we love each other and we're, we're like each other's best friends. So it's been almost a year since we broke up and there were other things that happened, but I was moving here. So it's hard for me to not think about him because... Mm-hmm. Also, just easy checkpoint, or, whoa, I've been here. Whoa, whoa, Freudian fucking slip. Easy (laughs) touchstone. Mm. He's an easy touchstone. I think that... Care. Care. Yeah. I need someone who is caring, and clearly, I can't deal with people anymore who don't... They have to have selfless tendencies, because I devote myself to other people. Yeah. So, I need someone who will not let me suck my, yeah will not let me suck my entire being out of myself to be with them i need someone who will laugh at my really shitty jokes like i need someone that if i'm sitting here and i'll be like mm, welcome to charlie's chow mein chicken chichis uh, i don't know that makes no sense but see you're laughing you're laughing so we could date like i need it's like you know if i just show up and like someone i'm dating comes home and i'm like hello welcome to my sweet little like i don't even i can't you're laughing and nothing has happened welcome to my self-hating jewish power hour every time i have a negative thought about myself we take a shot of jägermeister come sit like if someone if someone is just like you're fucking weird i'm like all right we're never gonna get married and i don't even know if i want to get married ever so who knows (laughs) but uh the one thing my most recent ex he told me the last time i was in new york he was like one thing you've seared into my being is I laugh at dad jokes now and I hate you for that but I love you for that and I was like yeah you better because my jokes are hilarious because they're so bad <laughs> also a two part question Pull so what do I want to unlearn and what was really important yes. these are big questions I know these are big uniball questions I as big that. as a fucking uniball but two, two uniballs juggle, so like we're so out. four balls oh my god one thing that I think a lot of if we're thinking about it's impossible to separate sexuality and spirituality but in general this is true for society writ large but how I grew up was a very but also my grandmother was this is going so off track but it has a point I swear so Jews love to claim well they love to claim many things but one thing that we 
love to claim American Jews is that we were central to the civil rights movement in America. I don't know if you're familiar with this because you're not American. Never heard that. Very central. They love to talk about it, that they were on the right side of history, Mm. blah, blah, blah. Because post-World War II human rights movement? Well, there were Jewish organizations at the organizational level that basically identified with civil rights struggles. Mm. And there's a lot of historians, though, that have written about how on the individual level, Jews, especially white passing or white Jews, so Ashkenazi Jews like me, in their own lives were identifying with whites who were in power and not helping out their black neighbors and were looking the other way when there were injustices going on, blah, blah, blah. And my grandmother, even though my parents are, so my parents are Zionists, that's one thing, but my grandmother, this doesn't have to do with Zionism, she and one other white lady were the only white people that supported the integration of the Philadelphia public schools. Wow. And she lost, she was basically kicked out of her synagogue's Hadassah, which is the sisterhood. Okay. So she was basically lost all of her Jewish friends because she was supportive of supporting the civil rights movement. Does she like that you're in Palestine or not? So she doesn't care. She's very old. She's almost 90. Mm. But she told me a couple years ago when I was coming here, I mean, I saw her a few months ago, she Mm. had shingles. I hope she's okay, inshallah. But uh, she told me, like, if you think you're doing good in the world, then I support you no matter what. And there's this grandmother that did this. She lost all of her friends for the fucking civil rights movement. And then she raises a daughter and she marries a guy and they're a Zionist. And my dad has a biblical interpretation of the land here. So I, I understand where he comes from, but I don't agree with it. And the problem with a biblical interpretation is nothing about contemporary politics can change your mind. Yeah. So yeah. what anti-Zionists can so easily be smeared because Zionism has nowadays become associated with support of Israel. So anti-Zionism can easily be associated mm. or made to be not supporting Israel and by proxy not supporting Jews. But mm. Zionism's history is really complicated. And before 1948, there were political Zionists, revisionist Zionists, liberal Zionists. There were so many different types of Zionism that had different plans for how the Jews could actually amass as a people. Right. And so they're different. They didn't, it, the plan was not go to Palestine and yeah. just create Israel. It was, it was totally different. So the history there debunks the idea that Jews all agreed that our land is a Jewish land and where Israel was, was Palestine or in is Palestine. So why I said this is I think what I really hated growing up was the in-group mentality so, like I said, I dated a guy who's Muslim and far from Jewish, has no Jewish roots in his family, and I've never dated a Jew, actually, and I've, I'm a serial dater, for better or for worse, it just happens, and I really hated myself for a while when I was younger, because I thought I wasn't doing it right, because my parents really wanted me to marry a Jew, mm-hmm. and there's this whole mentality that ties into the Zionist ideology of, they believe that if Israel doesn't exist, then we will all die, there will mm-hmm. be another holocaust, And very intimately tied to that is like Jews need to find one another and reproduce and be really inbred, I guess. And I'm very inbred. I have so many genetic problems with me because I'm as Jewish as far back as we can go. Also, though, I'm very gay and won't procreate normally. So it's the whole pro... Like my parents want me to marry a Jew, but it doesn't make any sense because I can adopt a Jew. I guess in their mind, I could also have like a surrogate mother who from a Jewish mother and our genetics would still be Jewish. But you um, can do that without having a Jewish partner. Yeah, like even... so. I loved the guy that I've dated most recently, but like dating a Muslim is a a Jew and a Muslim dating one another ends up being a sort of easy invitation for people to talk to you about to scale up from your relationship to like cultural conflicts and be Mm -hmm. like, so how's the, how is it dating a Jew? How is it dating a Muslim? Mm -hmm. And I think that it psychically is so worn into my brain growing up thinking that I needed to date a Jew. And also so much of my life has been learning Islamophobia, even though I don't agree with any of it that it creates this 
horrible space for, and I think this is true for most Americans, white Americans now, like it has compartmentalized how we can desire other people. Mm. And this, I mean, I feel that it took a lot of work to actually overcome it. It's really shitty when you actually realize it. It's like how I was saying before, like Israelis don't come to terms with their accountability in the occupation because if they do, they have to change their whole lives. Realizing how complicit you are in the racist structures makes mm. you realize that you have to try to undo that for yourself and you realize, oh, I don't find people who are not white attractive for a very particular reason and it's because society has taught me to do that. Mm. And so being told all about in-group Jewish identity is so important and how identifying with Jews is important and being a part of this culture is important and I do agree with being a part of the culture is important. It's so intimately tied to that is this, and this is a, you know, Ashkenazi Jewish family, so a white Jewish family in America. So a part of being tied to that group and cultural identity is a dangerous form of racism mm. that reared its head when we were dating too. Like I had a, my mom's cousin's husband. My ex is really into astronomy and he, we were talking about science or something and this guy basically told him, oh, it's so sad that Muslim countries are so backwards that they don't, that like their scientists will never be able to produce viable knowledge basically. And it mm. was the, he was just like, what the fuck are you talking about? Mm. Uh, like this is so decontextualized. This mm. is so generic. You have, you're making no sense. Mm. And it's also, I mean, that's a classic like microaggression. The, mm. the fact that these like white Jews are just throwing sort of Islamophobic parlances upon this right. guy. As though they're academic. And he had no idea. And this guy's a doctor. So he yeah. thought he was saying something really grounded mm. in what's going on. And if he wants to talk about research, he can talk about research in any number of ways. I work with Palestinian astronomers and astrophysicists here and they don't have the infrastructure here necessarily to do work because of the occupation. Right. So it doesn't have to do with their own government. Yes. Yes. It does. Their government's just complicit. Right. But they go abroad and they do really important work and people are doing great things. And also the professors nourish their students here. So anyway, just to go back to your question, I really wish that I, what I love and what I hate about American Jewish identity is that in-group mentality where we thrive of it and we love one another and we have a culture that is hilariously self-deprecating and I we can make poop jokes and we can make jokes about the Holocaust and it's great and also we are racist as fuck and it's because it's it's so tied to our community's investment in the Zionist project where we think that we all have to marry Jews and we have to be with Jews and we have to create Jews and that really restricts who you can love and mm. it's painful and overcoming it is painful mm. one thing that I really love that I learned was I mean I just have I have a really weird relationship with my parents because we fight all the time but I've talked about self-deprecation this whole time and I don't know I think that the only the thing that I love is I can I never take myself seriously thanks to my parents mostly my dad like my dad and I have a weird relationship too like I love him but you know as a kid I was a huge asshole and I never gave my dad any sort of attention I was my the first 10 years of my life mm. but my brother and I totally absorbed his sense of humor and that's what I was talking about before like I need someone who can laugh at my or my jokes but they're basically my dad's jokes mm. which you know genealogy is so strong like if you step back from yourself and think about who surrounds you it becomes very clear how they're all having a huge imprint on your life which I mm. find very important and that's why I don't surround myself with shitty people because you become shitty mm. um, that's why I haven't been in like a fight in a really long time except with my parents but that's inevitable you always fight with your parents mm. so I also feel that I have a very Jewish sense of humor I mean I'm a fucking so damn Jewish culturally <laughs> it's just true it, it never comes up here because there's no Jews mm. here in mm. Palestine and do you miss that ever? Um, no, not really. <laughs> 
I'm not, I am in America all the time. It's fine. Yeah, you get it. I mean, I visit America. I've been going every like four months, mm. so it's not that crazy. But no, I don't miss Jews. Like I said, it's the beauty of Jews is also this, it's just as exhausting. Like that really wonderful, close-knit, enculturated mentality is also so suffocating because yeah. it tries to dictate what you can do and who you can like in your life and who you can have in your life, which is the problem. That's why a lot of Jews in America don't engage with Palestinians, don't talk to Palestinians or many Arab people or in general. Our culture dictates that you can't do that. So insidiously, it's so subtle, but I would wager that like over 50% of American Jews don't even have a one Palestinian friend. And there's mm. so many Palestinians yes. in America. I mean, depending on where you live, it changes things, but. Shit, you have to go. Yeah, wait, <laughs> do you have another question though? No, it's okay. I was probably gonna go way another way. I'm just gonna say thank you. <laughs> I gotta go break shots. I don't know what to say. <laughs> you sure you don't want to ask this question? Yeah, yeah, because it probably had to do with somehow bridging Judaism and being in a Muslim society. So we're not going to go. Being there. Jewish in a Muslim society? Yeah, in a good way. Okay. The bridges, not the walls. But thank you. Sorry. Ah, go. Aww. Signing out from Aww. Charlie's Chimpanzee Chimbombo, <laughs> where all the monkeys fight. But only the ladies win. <laughs> we have to. We have to finish the wine. Blah, because I'm gonna be here by myself. Come finish it later. Put it back in. <laughs> I'm all drinking with you. Okay, I'll just come back. Yeah, come back. No, wait, just... yeah. Shokran, Toda, and thank you to the silveriest Jake I know. Be sure to check out Jake's ugly baby photo and penis birthday crown on Body and Wine's Instagram at Body and Wine Podcast. And please continue to research and share the realities of the Palestine-Israel situation as it relates to active colonialism present around the world. We're not out of the woods yet, folks. I know I'm inspired by Jake's challenge to evolve through tough conversations and self-reflection with, of course, a sprinkling of good old-fashioned grinding shenanigans. And do you have a story to tell, a poem, opinion, musing, to share about anything related to the broad topics of sexuality and spirituality? Send over up to 10 minutes of audio recording of your raps, questions, ramblings, knowledge to Body and Wine, and we'll include in our episodes as we are able and at our discretion. Don't know if yours will fit? Don't be shy. Let's chat about it. Send all queries and submissions to the show's email podcast at charliethegray.com. Gray is spelt with an A. I'll also link in the page notes. And P.S. If you don't have a good mic, don't sweat. iPhones and other phones work great for audio recording in a quiet room. Doesn't have to be fancy, folks. We got you. Happy apping! Happy apping!